and you know we um, so this year it tends to be either feast or famine, which means that either we manage to find a point that is so incredibly obscure that nobody in the world talks about it, or we happen to stumble on something so incredibly global that uh, that we have to try to be able to pick our way through in order to be able to reduce the uh, the enormity of the situation down to something that we can, number one, understand, and number two, uh, be able to draw a sense of meaning and relevance for ourselves. And this week, it's the second. So just, just so you know where we are at any given time. Uh, the concept that I've decided to take, and perhaps I would, you know, I'll give it the following introduction. And the following introduction is the following, that we know that Nisan is the Chodesh of Geula. We know that Nisan, we're told, is from a Lushan of Nisim. Miracles that take place and all kinds of wonderful things for Klai Yisrael. And it's Chodesh Aviv, it's springtime, it comes back to life, etc. We also know that in a year like this where we have two Adars, Purim has to be in the second Adar. Why? This geula le geula to put the geula of Purim next to the geula of Pesach. Now we've spoken about this in the past. What is the geula of Purim, and what does that mean exactly? We were not going to deal with that this evening, uh, even though I know it's Purim cotton this week, and it's one of those wonderful, wonderful occasions when somebody just asked me, "What is Purim cotton?" And I said, "Yeah." Anyway, we'll keep moving. <laughs> I have to keep moving about that. But, but at our Purim year, with a little luck, we will have a flashback and see if we can include Purim Cutting so the next leap year you'll know what's going on. But, uh, but this much is clear, that whatever the avoda is that is to precede the avoda of Nisan is the avoda of Ada, right? Meaning, if we're told that Purim has to be before Pesach because Purim is the Geula before the Geula of Pesach. So since Pesach is Chodesh Nisan, HaChodesh HaZelachem Rosh Chodoshim, HaKodesh Baruch who comes to Moshe Rabbeinu and says, this month is going to be the month of Geula. It's Chodesh HaAviv. It's, it's the Chodesh of Nisim. The whole month has this power of Geula. Then there's something in the month of Adar which is the preparation for the month of Nisan. There is something in Chodesh Adar which is there to allow us to prepare the Geula of Adar for the Geula of Nisan. That's, that's my starting point. As such, when we come to Parsha Tetzavah, which is really only the second most exciting Parsha after Truma, and um, you know, we look at Parsha Tetzavah, remember one year we dealt with the question as to why Moshe Rabbeinu is not in Parshish Tetzava, and I shared with you the answer I heard from one of my students, which was, if you had to be left out of a Parsha, you'd also pick Tetzava. So, uh, you know, the fact of the matter is, that it's very difficult to understand. Uh, the Rashis are enormous. The discussion of what princesses, noble women wear when they're riding horses, all this stuff, not to say that it doesn't, you know, really intrigue us, but uh, it's always very difficult. So, um, I don't know why this is, but this is a reality that people get very stuck on the Big Day Kahuna. The Big Day Kahuna really is very simple, right? If you don't believe me, just ask any kid who dresses up in that Kohen Gadol outfit. Look how easy it is. 
But for those of you who um, got so caught working out how to twist the various colored uh, fibers around the gold strand, right, we'll make this real simple for you. Yeah? Your average Kohen took a pair of white pants that came down to below the knees, came up and tied with a drawstring. He then took a sinus, which is this long shirt robe that he put over him, had sleeves, went down to the ground. He then took an avnate, a belt that was 32 almost long and wrapped it around himself many, 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 many times and tied it. And then he took a little hat that he put on, you know, and, uh, and that was it. He was done. Yeah? So a little turban that he wrapped, that was it. All that's made out of linen, tashbates, a white-on-white -white sort of a checkered effect. Lovely. That is your average Kohen. Yeah? If you're the Kohen Gadol, you get all of that plus a bigger hat, plus a little gold band that goes around your head that says Kodesh LaHashem, tied with Chalas in the back and the front, plus a nice blue robe with little bells and uh, little colored balls on the bottom that jingle, and that uh, goes over that, and an avnate, which is basically a backwards apron, multicolored, ties with a belt in the front, has straps with two little stones on it, yeah, comes down with hooks, attaches to the Choshen Mishpat, the breastplate with the 12 stones on it, and now you're done. That's it. Now, I don't know why it takes so long to figure that out. So that's it, basically. That's the outfit. There's a lot more details, obviously, you know, if you want to go into it, but that's it. That's the Eight Begadim. Yeah, that's the whole thing. We attach it, you know, the hooks, right? She says tie it on the bottom with threads, you know, with, with chalice, and that's it. Now you've got, you are ready for a vodim. So there's a lot to say on all of this. And in fact, one year in Parshat Tetzava, we went through the Gemara in Erechen that explains how all of the begadim are mechaper for particular averis. And we went through the Maharal explaining why those averis. And we talked about the concept of the Chavah Lusifaris. So we, we talked about all those sort of ideas. People like to speak about the Me'il and Lashon Hara. People like to talk about, you know, other aspects of it. But um, what the different stones represent and the different Shvatim. And yet it's amazing to me that when you talk to people on uh, Pashtat Tzava, very few tend to focus on the second half of the parasha. The second part, half of the parsha, Pashtat Tzava, which is the Sivoy for that which is then done in Parshat Tzav, are the Yemei Miluim. The Shivas Yemei Amiluim. Uh, interestingly enough, right, just so we get the chronology clear, right, Moshe Rabbeinu comes down on Yom Kippur with the Luchos, and he says the next day we're going to build a Mishkan, and then for the next three days they're collecting material, and so Moshe Rabbeinu says, stop bringing so many donations, we have too much. It's the last time in Jewish history that ever happened, right? And then the people start making it on Tesvav of Tishrei, they start building it says the Vilna Gaon, and at that point the Ananiya covered the clouds of glory which left after the hate returned. And that's why on Sukkot, when we're celebrating the Ananiya covered, we're celebrating the return of the Ananiya covered. And that began. They then worked laboriously, diligently, and with tremendous dedication, and f various other words that say the same thing that they taught us. I went to this one rabbi who obviously went to rabbi school. It was so amazing. Everything he said, he managed to come up with three words to say the same exact thing, you know. 
says, it was challenging, perplexing, difficult. And yet, the people with fortitude, with strength and with courage, whatever he said was three words. I said, I said, tell me he didn't have somebody write this for him. You know what I mean? This was like at a speech class, you know? So, um, the, uh, so they worked very hard, and they finished the whole thing on the 25th of Kislev. Right? Which, at that point, they should have put up the Mishkan, and Hashem says, I'm waiting till Rosh Chodesh Nisan. The 25th Kislev says, not fair, and Hashem says, stick around, I got something special for you, kid. Yeah, don't worry about it. We'll come back to you. So the people wait until the 23rd of Adar. And they then have the Shivas Yimei Miluim, the seven days of Miluim, of filling in, consecrating, dedicating, getting the peak, getting the Kohanim and the Mishkan ready, and then on Rosh Chodesh Nisan, on Yom HaShmini, which is captured so beautifully in the parsha called Shmini. Yeah? On the eighth day, we hear the actual dedication that takes place and how Aaron takes over and steps into that role. So all of that is clearly discussed, right? Um, you know, when you get down to Tzav and Tanisa. What I want to suggest is that whatever the avoda of the Yimei Amiluim, which was different than Yom HaShmini, right? There was different stuff that was done. But whatever that avoda was of the Yimei Amiluim is the avoda of Adar. And whatever the avoda is of Yom HaShmini that puts up the Mishkan is the avoda of Nisan. The Geula, the Geula can be seen by the relationship between the Yimei Amiluim and the Yom HaShmini, where the actual Hanukkah Zamishkan takes place. I didn't see this anywhere. I will, you know, cop nearly. The feeling is daiti. That's what I would, I would see. Because it's interesting that one is meant to be in Adar and one is meant to be in Nisan, obviously. So you could be a stickler and say, well, there's no way to have seven days before Rosh Chodesh Nisan unless they're in Adar. True. True. But uh, that's, that's the assumption that a Kodesh Baruch Hu just has a tendency to do things randomly. And through my, you know, brief study of, uh, you know, um, Torah sources, I've never found that to be the case. Almost always, the Kodesh Baruch has got something going on up his sleeve, if he had a sleeve. So that's the idea. Yeah, we have to try to understand the Yimei Milum. And surprisingly, you don't find that people talk a lot about the Yimei Milum. So I began to look into it and suddenly found out that although today most people don't talk about it, in the past people talked about it really quite a bit. So um, we have a lot of material here. To cover, and as I was working out my outline, which I did not complete, which means that as I was leaving the house, someone asked me, "How's the shear going to be?" And I said, "Beats me. Depends. You know, could go almost anywhere at this point. You know, so I can't tell you for sure, but I can tell you that there is an enormous amount of material in a lot of different directions and a lot of problems. And uh, I suppose in future years we will focus in on particular ones to try to deal with. But now we want to try to get an overview." to the general sense of the Yimei Amiluim. So the first thing we have to do is get the chronology of events of what's in fact taking place, right? Um, like I told you, you know, very often when you have something that is so detail-oriented, you don't really get the whole picture. So let's get the whole picture, yeah? During this week, Moshe is acting as the Kohen Gadol. He is wearing the... A big day Lavan that the Kohen Gadol usually wears on Yom Kippur. He is setting up the whole system. He is acting. Aaron and his 
sons are being brought into the process. Right? Okay. So let's let's see what's taking place. Just again, like I say, just the the uh, the details. First thing they had to do every morning was set up the mishkan. Right? They had to put up the walls and set everything up and put on the yirios and put in the kalim and you know put the whole thing together, set up the chutzes, set up the mishkan, put the whole thing together. That's the first thing. Yeah. And then he would dress Aaron Ubonov up in their begadim and put their begadim on. Then, after that was all done, uh, he did the Shemana Mishcha. He put Shemana Mishcha on Aaron. He poured it on his head. Rashi says, Akaf Yivanis, which looks like our nun. The Rambam and others suggest it was like the letter X. The problem is that if it's uh, a kaf yivonis, which looks like a nun, why didn't you just say a nun? So it had to be a Greek letter that we don't have in Hebrew, hence an X, right? And uh, put it on their head. The Medrash says the oil dripped down into Aaron's beard, and two of the drops remained in his beard at, uh, at, for the rest of his life. Um, and he sprinkles it on the, you know, the Mishkan and on the Kalim, etc. And um, he's preparing the whole system. So now he's got three animals he's going to bring. A par and two ayo. The par, first par he brings is a chatos. And so Aaron and have come and they do smicha on this animal, right? Because every chatos comes for an avera. Rashi says... It's for the Chaita Ega. Right? The par Echad Lachape Al Maisa Ha'ego Shahu Par. Interesting that if the eagle is a par, ask the Gar why don't you bring an eagle? And you see a Yoma Shmini, he brings an eagle. Okay. And uh, they shecht it. He takes. The dam, like is done with every carbon chatas, and goes up the ramp and puts it on the corner of the mezbeach. The left is poured onto the sod at the base of the mezbeach, and then the entire chatas uh, is taken to machana and burnt. And Rashi points out that this is the only uh, par that is not brought bifnim, like the Paranyam Kippur, which he brought it bifnim. Yeah, this is the only one that is Lomatsino Khatas Khitsoina Nisrefes Elazu. This is the only one with it's taken outside and completely burnt. Right? Okay. Um, certain I forgot certain parts are taken off and burnt on the bad first, fine. Now I bring the second aisle, the second, uh, the first aisle, the first aisle is being brought as an ola. And once again, there's smicha. And now when they shafted, they take the dam and like all ola, they go to the two corners of the mezbeach, thus getting on all four sides by going at the corners, one and the other. And the entire korban is burnt, as is done with an ola. And the second aisle is a shlamim. A shlamim is, as we know, right? It's usually referred to as a in English, it's a peace offering because everybody gets a piece. Yeah, the Kohen gets a piece, the Mizrahi gets a piece, and the Balam get a piece. Yeah, that's a little play on words on peace and peace. Right? Okay. Anyway, so uh, but that's the idea. It's because it's a good thing because everybody gets a piece of the action, 
and so this one is shechted, and the dam is taken and put on the ear, on the thumb, and on the big toe. Yeah, and for the and for the kohanim, right? It's also the shemun mishka is put as well, and uh, is put on. Then the parts that are taken off, uh, you know, they take one of the chalas. There's three types of bread that are brought. Yeah, one's a big fancy bread, one's a bread that's baked, you know, with uh, some oil, and one is one that's baked flat and just oil is rubbed on the outside. Yeah, and uh, those one of each one. There were ten of each one of these lechem. Each you take one of these and the different parts of the of the aisle that's you know waved back and forth, and um, and the kohanim eat the shlamim. Well. Except for the Chazet. Chazet is not at all clear what happened. Because Rashi seems to say in one place that it's burnt, and in another place he says that it was given to Moshe. So, what exactly happened with this one um, is, uh, is interesting. But first, should Rashi talk about it? Yeah? But in any event, this is the process. The rest of the Shlomim was eaten, and, uh, you know, and this was done, and at the end of the day, they took off their big day kahuna, they took down the mishkan, and the next day they did it over again. For an entire month, this is what they did. Now, what's going on over here? Like I said, we have some technical problems, i.e., um, you know, uh, why was this, uh, uh, why is this sure, um, you know, if it's, if it's coming, to be mechakrens, we weren't chut b'machne. Why don't you take the dam inside, like we do on Yom Kippur? And uh, what exactly happened with the shlom, etc.? All these are technical problems. I learned last week already, two weeks ago rather, that not everybody is interested in all the technical problems as much as those of us who sat there with many, many swarm open in front of us and um, copiously co- copying out uh, segments. So I'm going to skip over some of the technical aspects uh, this week. Perhaps we'll deal with them as I mentioned uh, in years to come. But um, I, I want to get the general overview here to what's going on. Why, why is this the process? Now, what we can see is that there are a couple of numbers that we have dealt with in the past. And, you know, we always have our eyes open when we see numbers, right? There are a couple of numbers that we see that come up quite a lot in this process. One is obviously seven, because this goes on for seven days. Yeah? There's seven days. And then the eighth day, which is not exactly part of the Miluim, it's Yom Hashmini, which is the Chanukah of Mishkan, is slightly different. Rabbeinu B'chayah would suggest that these eight days correspond to the eight begodim that the Kohen Gadda wears. Seven of these begodim are in one category, and one is outside of it, because the last thing that they put on is the tzitz. And the tzitz is not exactly a begot in the traditional sense. It's more like a tachshit, right? It's a little gold band that goes around the head. You know? It's not exactly the same. But he, this is what the Ben of says. The first seven begotten correspond to the seven Yemeim Luim. The eighth one corresponds to the tzitz. Yeah? So this much is clear. There's seven going on over there. The other thing that seems to me to be interesting is the number three, which pops up quite a bit. There are three animals that are brought. There are three places on the body where you put the dam. The ear, the thumb, and the toe. 
there are three different types of lechem. So, what's going on over here when we see all these various threes? Second, Rebbe Bechaya gives us a little insight when we talk about three. And that is that we can look at three as being without using all of his uh, his his uh, um, But there's obviously the upper world, the lower world, and the middle world. We talked about this on um, on a shir before Yom Kippur many years ago. We talked about the Tarshishim, which is what he refers to as being in between, or the Olam Hamazolos, or the or the Gogulim, or different kind of lashonises that he uses. But there's obviously to put it into, into terms that a simple guy like me can understand, there's down here where we are, and there's all the way up there, and then there's the place in between where the two are connected and the things come about through. Yeah? The idea of, well, we talked about this years ago, but the idea of astrology, right? Being able to look up at the stars and see things. I'm not talking about now when you take a look in the newspaper and you, you know, you find these kind of things, you know, and when I was younger, you know, and so... Um, you know, people would look up my English birthday and they said, oh, you're a Capricorn and you're such a Capricorn. It's unbelievable what a Capricorn you are, you know. And then eventually I pointed out to them, you know, I think it's supposed to go by your Hebrew birthday and mine is Shvat, which means that I'm really an Aquarius. And they said, you know, that makes sense. You're such an Aquarius, you know. <laughs> and, and the two are so different. Like, you know, if you read the descriptions, they're so diametrically opposed. Like, you know, um, it's, it's absolutely amazing. You can put almost anything you want into these things, you know. And, uh, and that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the fact that Paro's astrologers looked up into the sky and saw that there was this dam waiting for them in the Midbar. And Moshe ibn Asistah Baruch Hu, you see, they're going to say it was because of dam, that was that kochav dam. And he says, you're right, we'll turn it into the dam of Brismila. He didn't just say, come on, Moshe, you don't really go for that astrology stuff, do you? You're such a Leo, you know. You know, what is that going? You know, Pisces, a bit Pisces, such a Pisces. You know what I mean? Like, you know, obviously, it's not a question of that. You know, there's something really going on, and and the one way of understanding it is that when Hakadosh Baruch Hu sends things down to to the world, as a rule, he doesn't come in directly, which makes sense to a certain extent when you think about it, because if Hakadosh Baruch Hu is pure spirituality. And this world is made up of physicality. You can't just come down and hit that. You're going to have to go through layers. Hence, the Rambam explains that there are ten levels of malachim. Each one is static, whether they're ofanim, akruvim, malachim, you know, all, all the different levels that the things become more and more physical as you go down the line. Yeah? So that there's, there's this process of where the Ruchdias is becoming more Gashmi on its way down. Yeah, whatever that means. But that middle process, the ladder in Yaakov Avinu's dream, you know, the 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 idea of the Shefa coming down through some sort of a pipe, whatever that whatever these things mean, it means that there's something that's connecting the two. So let's try to put this into terms that we can understand, right? Hopefully. Yeah, and that is, let us take the human experience. The human experience is made up of three parts, and we talked about this on Parsha's Ba'era many years ago, and on Parsha's Bo also. Um, and that is the, the fact that we're made up of what we could call upper body, lower body, middle body, or um, 
intellect, emotion, and action. Yeah? Um, the brain, for the most part, represents intellect. Again, it depends on the person. But as a rule, when you talk about the brain, you're talking about the intellect. You're talking about the ability to think. When we want to capture the concept of machshava, we're talking about the brain. This is an interesting um, problem, in fact, because you know people sometimes mistake the process merely with the organ, which is obviously a mistake, right? Emotion is seen as being captured in the heart. But of course, if a person has a heart operation, that doesn't mean that now his emotions don't work so well. Some of the people I know who had heart operations became more emotional. Well, maybe that's really the point. You know, they were high-hearted and we cut it open a minute. Anyway, look at it however you like, you know. But uh, there's something beyond the organ and what the organ represents, you know. Therefore, um, you know, you have, you have situations where a person isn't able to think right or handle a situation right and that's simply because often there are chemicals or enzymes in the brain that just aren't working correctly you know so when I was growing up we'd say oh you mean the guy's crazy you know and then they were being crazy and the question that just like if you say his heart wasn't working right you wouldn't say he was you know insensitive right it just means it's an organ and sometimes there's a chemical imbalance there I had a I had a came to me years ago, years and years ago when I was younger and I really thought I knew everything, you know. And uh, you get a little older and you suddenly realize there's a few things you haven't gotten to yet. But, um, but when I was younger, so, uh, so this fellow comes to me and he says, you know, well, I'm not sure what to do. I have a problem. I stand a very long Shmanesra. I stand a very long Shmanesra, you know, and I know you have to be Yodzi, the first bracha. And I just, you know, my mind keeps wandering. I keep trying to concentrate, and I'm afraid I didn't say it over, and I could say it over again and over again and try to get it straight, and I'm working on it, I'm working on it. You know, I could stand the first bracha for half an hour. And I says, wow, you know, it's, it's, that sounds very difficult, the situation. He says, yeah, yeah. So I went to Esau Scheinberg, and he said I should see a psychiatrist and get medication. Well, I said, well, that sounds a little extreme. You know what I mean? Uh, I'm sure, you know, uh, perhaps it's just, you know, this, that, the next thing, etc. I'll give you a few techniques and a few this, and concentrate on this. Anyway, I saw the guy four years later. I said, so how's it going? He said, oh, Baruch Hashem. So what happened with that problem? Oh, it went away. I said, oh, you mean the, the advice I gave you? He said, no, it was totally worthless. It didn't help at all. And then I listened to Scheinberg, and I went to a doctor, and he gave me um, you know, medication, and it disappeared. <laughs> so uh, one for the Godolim, and Orlovsky, nothing. So... Uh, <laughs> So I, it was one of the one of the one of the special moments of my life when I really realized, you know, that you know there's a reason that those people get cards and you don't. You know what I mean? Like, you know, these people actually, you know, have a, a very keen insight. You know, and it, it's not, you know, the usual thing. But it means that sometimes you have to be smart enough to realize that there's something there. It's just not, you know, there's a chemical missing or something. But but that's for another whole discussion. We'll, we'll get back to where we are, and that is that the brain represents machshav, thought, and that should be the control of the body, obviously. The brain should be what is in control. Yeah. The emotions, the heart, that's the part of you where decision takes place. When you have to make a decision, you know, it's like, what does your heart tell you? You know? 
And we know very often that your brain could tell you one thing and your heart might not like it. Your heart might tell you something completely differently, you know? But your heart is in a position where it has to be able to make a decision. When you move to the lower body, there's a lot of different things down there that we can draw on. One of the things that they draw on is the kabet, the liver. We talked about this in Parshish Bo. Hechbarati as libo. I made his heart hard. Yeah? But uh, that's seen as the tithes of the body. In the liver. Liver is filled with dam. Dam is the tithes. So, when your moach tells your lev what to do, and your lev tells your kabed what to want, then mem lamed chaf, you are a melech. Right? So you take a simple example. Right? You're passing by a restaurant of unquestionable kashas. It's definitely trait. Yeah? And you're passing by. And your liver says, wow, that looks really good. Let's stop in and have something. I deserve a break today. You understand? Whatever the case may be. Yeah? So uh, your heart says, yeah, I don't know. Brain? What do you mean? Gosh. Trafe. Trafe. Didn't I teach you anything over the years? All the animals that I eat must chew their cud and have split teeth. Kosher food is camp. Yeah, I Okay, okay, okay. I remember now. Yeah, attack. So sorry, we're not going to go in there. So, oh, come on, can't we? No, no, we're going to the uh, going to the kosher pizza place. You know, the one where you can't tell whether you're eating the pizza or the box. You know what I mean? <laughs> Except that the box has more cheese on it. You know what I mean? You know. Somebody just told me there was a pizza place in Brooklyn that auctioned off the first pizza after Pesach. Pitzdaka, eight hundred dollars. <laughs> for a pizza. That's about 100 bucks a slice. Yeah. I'm just taking a moment to reflect on this because there's a sheer waiting here to burst out just of that, that piece of information. We'll have to save it for another occasion, but it's just, it's just there. It's just bubbling to the surface. I mean, I'm, still, I'm still trying to process the information. <laughs> you know, the very fact that you know, somebody would you know, participate in an auction for a pizza you know what I mean? And right after Pesach, because here we've spent all this time preparing ourselves, you know what I mean, to remove all chametz and all chait, and the whole time we're focusing on that pizza, that $800 pizza. I can't wait to get. But in any event, so when your brain tells your heart what to decide, and you decide based on your intellect, then you're a melech. You're in charge. Your desires are not controlling you. Of course, if it works backwards, and you're Kaved tells your lave what to do, and your lave tells your mind what to think, as we all know, because your mind will think whatever you tell it to. You know? Come on, there must be somebody who matters it. <laughs> there must be some way of, isn't it? You're telling me there's no reason, there's no way I can't offer any. Oh, sure you can. Put your mind to it, my friends, and you can justify anything. Unbelievable part, you know, it says that uh, it was Nisan when Haman did his poor and, and the lot came up in Adah. And when he saw it was Adah, he was happy. And he says, when you think about it, why is he happy? It's, it's a whole year away. Who knows what could possibly happen during that year? You know, wouldn't you rather strike while the iron is hot? So he says, I realized that Haman was a smart guy and he knew that if I would suddenly turn around and say, let's kill everybody, People might feel a little squeamish, but give people enough time and they can get used to anything. And anything can become ordinary to them. Yeah? So, uh, you know, we know that. I can justify killing out innocent people if need be. 
I can justify anything. My mind is wonderful. Then it's kelem. Destruction, prison, it's different, different shatim. Take a look, Rashi, Balizcha. Yeah? But um, in any event, the mind is what controls the highest levels and aspirations of the intellect. The heart represents more the emotions. If you will, like we mentioned, it's what's between the two. Because your tibas are pulling you in one direction, your head's pulling you in another direction. This is, by the way, the Kabbalistic concept known as Naran, Neshama, Ruach, and Nefesh. Nefesh is the part of, that is inside of you. The Neshama is all the way up by the Kisa Kavod. What connects the two is the Ruach. And just like Ruach is always moving, and just like your heart is always pumping, although your brain is not always uh, doing anything at times, but uh, you know, and your liver just sits there like a lump, but the heart is always moving, and the Ruach is always blowing. So your ability to be able to make decisions is constantly going on. There's a constant process of thinking up and thinking down and going back and forth. Yeah. So, so that's the middle part. By the way, when we talk about the, the concept known as the spheres, yeah, the ten spheres, which uh, obviously the various whenever the number ten pops up a bit as well, right? But when you talk about that, the top three, which are called Kesa, Chokhmah, and Bina are known as the mochin. That's the intellect. The middle ones, Chesed, Vur, and Tiferes, that's seen as the middle part of your body, and it's represented by the middle parts of your body. Chesed, Vur, and Tiferes is le- represented by your, excuse me, um, Netzach, Hod, and Yesod is the lower part of your body. Right? That's, that's the division that takes place. We take this... Uh, we take one korban. And one kor- now, Naman the Mufarsh, Ben Rechai, and others mention that the three represent Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, right? Which is obviously the source from which all of B'nai Yisrael comes out of. You know? And that, those three are the source of everything. I remember once, uh, Rameh Shapiro was giving a series of shurim on Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. It was absolutely amazing because I've taught Basil Shisham for many years. And, um, and he was just tying in everything. Every three, Kinnataiv and Kavo, the three, Pischa Gehenim, the, you know, every, every three you could imagine was Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, you know. And at one point he says, How does it start? Yesoda Chasidus, Chesed is Avraham, Vesharisha Avoda, Avoda is Yitzchak, Tamima, Tamim is Ishtam, is Yaakov. It's everywhere. Everywhere you'll find these three, these three concepts. Right? So when we're going to start the process, we're taking the three animals that are representing Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. Right? The starting point. What are these? What are these three starting points? Yeah. There's uh, there's the chatos that has to make up for the chet ego. Now, the idea of the chet ego, right? We talked about it a lot as well. Obviously, central point. The concept of the Chet Ego is that we brought a destruction to the world after the world had reached the level of Gan Eden. We were once again on the edge of bringing the world to its perfection and we blew it. Right? The Chazal say that as Hashem was handing the Luchos to Moshe, they were both holding on to it, that's when they built the Ego. It was this process. We were right there, and comes along the eagle, 
and destroys everything. Aaron has a part of that. Aaron has a part of that. And his children, who did not have a part of it, nonetheless, as Rashi tells us in Shemini, it says that Kodesh Baruch Hu was so upset that he was going to destroy um, uh, Aaron. And he says that means Kiloi Bani. His children were going to die. And in fact, one of the reasons Nadav and Avihu die is because of that hate. <laughs> Interestingly enough, Rabbeinu Bachai and others also make this point that the three behemoths correspond to Aaron Ubanav. I, there were four of them, but Nadav and Avihu weren't going to make the whole process. So it was for Aaron, Allah, and Yisama. Interesting. But the Chet Ego is something that is hanging over Klai Yisrael. It is this mistake. And what the mistake is, there's a lot of different ways of looking at it, etc. But one of the ways of looking at it is the fact that we bring a Pura Aduma. And Rashi says in Parshas Chukas, the Pura Aduma is to make up for the Ego. Let the mother come and, ma- and clean up the mess that the child made. Now, forgetting anything else, what do you see from this? Uh, par, or para, is an adult cow. And an ego is a little cow. Why did the people come to Aaron and Hur in such a panic? We can't face HaKadosh Baruch Hu ourselves. It's too hard for us. We can't handle it. We're afraid. We're too little. And that's what they got. A little ego, which is helpless and can't do anything. Yeah? And so that's the that was the that was the mistake. The way to fix the mistake is by trying to be an adult. By trying to take responsibility for what you did and to be able to look at it, you know, and handle things. Uh, Moshe doesn't bring an ego. And Moshe is being mocked. There's no ego there. When Aaron finally goes to make up for it, he has to bring that ego. But the process of the miluim is setting it up. And the korban chatas is, and that's the idea of every korban chatas. It's there to fit the crime. I, I, I have so many shurim I always want to do on the menachos. Tonight is not one of them. You know, um, m- mostly because I just have so many great titles. You know, roll it and pat it and, and mark it with a chaf yuvanis. I don't know why I, that title always stuck to me. But there's, you know, why are there different types of menachos and what are they for, etc. The Mepharshim talk about this, that who you are will determine the carbon that you bring because that is how you do it. So some people are going to bring a mincha that's a big mincha. Nice, big, and blown up. And some are going to bring a small, hard, tough one because that's their chait. You know? I remember I saw this safer that had a likut on, it was basically a bench that had a likud on Zmiris. And, um, and before I picked it up, I said, if they have anything on this question which has always bothered me, then I will buy it. Yeah? So uh, I always had the question, yeah? Why a mincha al machvas? So my kids had an easy explanation. It rhymes. You know what I mean? It doesn't sound so good. Kemilcha betandor. You know, like, <laughs> kill the whole song. You know what I mean? 
I was looking for something else, you know. And sure enough, the Levelio brings out a little piece from the Levelio that uh, that the um, that the reason for it is that a mincha machvas is flat and fried and hard, and even if your avodas Hashem is hard and brittle and tasteless, still lekel yerotzu, Hakadosh Baruch Hu wants it, no matter how how lowly your avoda is. Uh, it's such a such a, a beautiful idea. There are three different menachos that are brought here. There's a nice big one. There's a medium one. There's a small one. Shemshu for Hirsch has a very long piece going through these various steps, and um, and he explains that when you talk about the menachos, you know, he says we're telling the kohanim because the kohanim are the ones who are going to be responsible for the avodas Hashem. They're the teachers of Torah. They're the ones who are going to be speaking. And they're completely dependent on the goodwill of the people. How much truma you get, if you get any truma, I don't have to give you anything. I can give to other Kohanim. I don't have to give you anything. And whatever I give you is up to me. I can give Ba'ayin Yofa. I can give Ba'ayin Ruh. I can give you a little bit. With the Arise, I can take one piece and give it to you. You know? How much a person is going to want to give you, whether it's going to be big or it's going to be middle or whether it's going to be lowly, is going to be based on how you present it to the people. Uh, can you show them an avodas Hashem that's big and fluffy and wonderful or only one that's hard and brittle and difficult? I heard a story many years ago that there was a fellow who was staying in the town of Brisk and um, he uh, he went to the first seder. I think it was the base of Levi. A briska, good. I always it must have been Velazhin. It was Velazhin. And uh, he gives him a good briska seder. You know, three black burnt matzahs. You know, and everything is like you know you have nothing there because you know we're worried about everything and everybody's you know hovering on briska hakiris on all the things that they're learning and it's like this and you know that and then they suddenly look at the oy vey oy vey it's, it's almost chatzos and they quickly quickly eat the matzah and then they eat the mara and then they you know there's, there's barely time for a soup they have a little bit of soup and they have to eat the afikomen you know what I mean and big shiurim of everything you know and then you know it goes on like this this is the way I heard the story it could be the whole thing's exaggeration it doesn't really matter I don't feel any need to really investigate the stories to see if they're true. That Pesach Krohn does that. So you can go check it and see if he has this on a tape. And you know, He says, I called the person up myself and I checked into it. I heard this from somebody once. I don't know if it's true. Anyway, I'm busy. <laughs> I can't be accurate. <laughs> I got a lot to do. Anyway, <laughs> he can worry about being correct. Anyhow, so, um, so, uh, so the next night he goes to the Nitziv. You know, and then it sits down with three big white matzahs, you know, and there's lots of food, and everyone's singing, and somewhat lighthearted, even, you know. I, I had a fellow tell me when he was a bacha, so uh, he went to a, uh, uh, went to a big Rashiva's house, you know. And uh, he was there with his grandchildren. He was tossing out nuts to the kids. He was singing, saying, you know, the little things, you know. And he had prepared all these various caches, you know. He asked the I don't know. Here, have a nut. You know what I mean? Like, you know, <laughs> you know your time, you know. Someone said they went to Rebhutna's uh, Seder, and Rebhutna just talked to the kids the whole time. They talked to the kids and told them stories and told them this. And that's what the whole, the whole emphasis was, you know. It's, a, it's, it's a, another approach, you know. 
Anyway, so this is how he described the two storms. So the person who was telling me the story, I said, I said, um, so which one was right? He says, I don't know, but which one would you rather go to? And I thought that was such an interesting approach. Now, I know some people would definitely want to go to the first one. For sure. You know, this Bachel was very disappointed. He would much rather have gone to the first one. The second one was too much fun. You know what I mean? <laughs> the, the question is, what is the Avodah Hashem that you want to present? Hard and brittle? Big and fluffy? You know, there's, there's different ways of being able to look at it. It can have lots of oil in it. It can have just a little oil, you know, rubbed on the top. And the Kohen has to be able to bring this across. And so Aaron Ubanov have to start the process by understanding this. Yeah? And so they bring the Kerman Chatas to make up for the ego because the ego was this total destruction of the world as we know it. And they have to understand that they had a role to play in this. And they had the Aaron Ubanov did. And that the children were caught up in the, in the process. And we have to remove this. The whole... Mishkan, as Rashi tells us, came about only because of the Chaita Ego. And now that we're going to prepare ourselves for it, there's a preparation to try to understand where the mistake was and how to remove it if we want to be able to move into the next stage. And um, that's, uh, that was one. The other one is an Ola. An Ola is completely consumed. It's the idea of giving over something completely to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Completely, without any, you know, without any attempt to hold anything back, without trying to keep anything for ourselves, right? That was taken outside and burnt because we, we, we that that was supposed to be like the par that we bring on Yom Kippur. That's also taken the Why, why none of the dam went inside is, you know, there's a number of terutsim to this, but. It was supposed to be this one where it's a, you know, uh, excuse me, that was the that was the chatos. The the ola has to um, has to be able to come and bring it up to, you know, take everything we have and raise it up to Hakadosh Baruch Hu. The third one, the shlamim, is a different level, and the shlamim means that not just take everything and burn it and give it away, but we have to become a participant in the process. And, uh, and I guess when you think about it, Avram Avinu had to be mechapa for the world. He had to straighten out a world that knew nothing about a Kodesh Baruch Hu. And Yitzchak Avinu had to be prepared to give himself completely to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And Yaakov Avinu had to be that Kodesh Shlomim that brings, he's the latter, that brings it com- together, what's up there and what's down here. Right? He's Sukkis. Sukkis is where we go into the Sukkah and we surround ourselves and we're taking all of the physical and lifting it up to a situation that's going to be something that's going to be on a higher level. And that's the Dham that goes onto three parts of their body. It goes onto their ears, it goes onto their finger, it goes onto their toes. So why the ear? So uh, as Nayam Latara has an interesting approach, he says the entire body was covered up with the big day kahuna. Except for the face and the hands and the feet. So when he poured the oil, it dripped down onto the beard. So the whole face was covered except for the ears. That's the only place that he needed something. And you need something in the hands, you need something in the feet. But there's obviously something else that's going on there, right? It's obviously the top of the body, the middle of the body, and the 
bottom of the body. Yeah? It's taking this carbon and we're putting it on the ear. The ear is the ability to hear. The ability to hear is what allows Dibur to take place. Meaning, if I speak to you and you're not listening, then I'm not speaking. Right? I There may be sound waves going on. There's always sound waves going on. They're not reaching anybody. I'm not talking to anybody. I can do an Amira if there's nobody there. Vayoymer, I can talk if nobody is actively participating in the process. But Deba requires somebody to listen. The ears are something that give me the ability to be able to communicate. Right? V'yidaber Hashem. In order for HaKadosh Baruch Hu to speak, there has to be somebody to listen. And and an ever that can't hear doesn't have any value. A person who can't hear is considered to have no das. It's a there's, there's the ability of being able to hear that I'm going to take in what you're saying more than just the ability to speak, but the ability to be able to be collate what's being said. There's a power to the ears. Hands, hands are obviously mice, right? And feet is what allow us to go someplace and do something. We've mentioned this many times. The first Jew is introduced to the world with the words, go someplace. There's a, there's a purpose in this world and we're supposed to be going somewhere. Uh, right? We are walking someplace. We want to get somewhere. We want to accomplish something. And we want to do something. Right? There's the concept of going and the concept of doing. And so we hear, which means that we're collate from out there. We're, we absorb something from outside. We go someplace, which brings us someplace, and we do something. These are three things that we can do in this world. And all those things have to be dedicated with a purpose. The month of Adar is the end of the year. It's the end. It's not just the end of the year, it's the end of everything. Right? We may have spoken about this one year. Uh, when Haman understood that it was the month of Adar, he thought it was a good month. Because it's the month that Moshe Rabbeinu died. Ah, but he didn't know that Moshe Rabbeinu was born. Why not? He didn't have the same Jewish encyclopedia. He couldn't look up and find out Moshe's birthday. Because we don't celebrate birthdays after a person's dead. We only celebrate your sites. Once the person's dead, once the person's gone, who cares when he was born? Of course he was born. Everybody who dies is born. In fact, they discovered recently that the major cause of death is birth. You understand? <laughs> of course he was born. Everybody who died was born. So, uh, oh, you didn't know he was born. What does it make if he was born? He's dead, right? That means it's over. That means it's over, and it's more than just that it's over. It means the whole mahalach of Moshe Rabbeinu and Yitzhiyat Mitzrayim into the Mishkan, into the base of Mikdash is now over. That comes to an end. A lot of the Mepharshim explained this on Chad Gadya. Yeah? Um, that uh, Paro is the Kelev and the Mata is Moshe's Mata, the stick that beats the door. Right? Based on a Medrash. 
Why did Moshe take a matik? Because you beat a dog with a stick. Right? And then comes the fire and burns the stick. What's the what's the fire? The fire of the Churban Beis Mikdash destroyed it. And that's the end of that Mahalach. Comes along the Mayim, which is Torah, the Ajax of Dola, and create, you know, re- recreate the Beis Mikdash. Right? It would have put things back, put out that fire. Yeah, but it means that we're starting over again. In between that process, Haman said, Bnei Yisrael is dead. This is when Moshe died. This is when Bnei Yisrael will die. Everything that was born will die. This is over. They're finished. They were wrong. They were wrong because what he doesn't understand is that Adar leads into Nisan. We don't allow it to break. What does that mean? Right? We start collecting the chatzis shekel in Adar. We talked about this years ago. And that chatzis shekel is the money that will buy the korbanos for next Nisan. And so we create a link. It doesn't end. Uh, I don't want to go into this too much, but the, the nations of the world tell time by a year. Shana. Shana is to repeat. Right? Shanot. Over and over again. So that means there's this year, and then this year ends, and there's a new year, and then that one ends, and that one ends, and that one ends. The moon is a bit player in the story. Right? Nobody cares when the full moon is going to be. There are 12 months. Right? Um, That beautiful poem. 30 days, half September. April, June, and November. All the rest have 31, except for February, which has 28. <laughs> you ever see somebody just get tired of writing a poem in the middle? So take out the word half already if you're going to do that. you know what I mean? Half September. And then all the rest of 31, except for February, which has 28. You know? So what are you doing? Write a poem. But the point he's trying to make is, whether it's 30 days or 31 days or 28 or occasionally 29, doesn't really make a difference. We don't really care about the moon. The months are just there. All we have are months. We have a year of 12 months, or we have a year of 13 months, but we never have a year of 365 and a quarter days. It doesn't exist. All we have is a chodesh. We are constantly, apparently, vanishing from view, only to reappear again. And so when he takes a look at other and he says, they're ending, we say, no. We're not ending. We are preparing for the reappearance of the Levana. We are preparing for the real Geula. And so when Haman tried to destroy us in Adar, he ended up getting destroyed himself. And instead, the moon, which had reached its nadir, now began to wax once again and reappear. There's a springtime waiting just around the corner to be able to follow the end. And that's why the month of Adar is something which is so incredibly unpredictable by its nature. Yeah? The normal function of the world is the number seven. We've talked about this many times. And they go through the Shivas Yimei They go through seven levels. And they're going day after day after day. Take it down and put it up. Take it down and put it up. We're practicing. And then when we reach the eighth day, which is really the first day. It's the first day of the Mishkan. It's Rosh Chodesh Nisan. It's the new year for us. We put the Mishkan up for real. 
But in order to put that up, you need the seven days of preparation. You need an adder where you have to realize that yes, we made the chet egel, and yes, we're coming back to make up for it. Yes, we make mistakes. Yes, sometimes our legs take us to the wrong place and our hands do the wrong things. Sometimes we think the wrong things. Sometimes we have a disconnect. Sometimes we don't understand that, you know, that it's not enough just to give to HaKadosh Baruch Hu what he's supposed to get. Sometimes we have to know we have to have a Korban Shlom and it has to be part of us too. Sometimes we forget that we have Koiches and the Big Day Kahuna help us just to get in touch with those Kochas. We forget that <clears throat> we have to build a Mishkan because we have a world that we have to build. Sometimes we forget that we have to present a Yahadus that's big and fluffy and brilliant and bright and yummy and enjoyable and not just burnt and hard. Sometimes we have to show all the different things that we have to do. We have to focus. Mishnah Shkolem says during this time of year they made all the repairs. They fixed the roads. They cleaned out the mikvos and the wells. They uh, fixed the walls. They did everything they had to do. Because during the winter things tend to fall apart. Rain comes. Things get messy. Things start to fall apart. And now you have to go and put it back together. That's the world we're in. Things fall apart. And all is mortal but the Jew. In the words of Mark Twain. Yeah, everything ends except for us. We don't. We begin to vanish and then we reappear once again. Right? When Louis XIV of France, the Catholic king, asked Pascal, the Catholic philosopher, for a miracle that you could still see today, he said, the Jews, your highness, that's obviously a miracle. Every other ancient people have vanished. When was the last time you met an Edomite? You know what I mean? There's none of them around. Yeah? Midianites. You know, there's nobody around. Everybody's gone. We're the only ones around. And not because the world loves us so much that there was a Jewish preservation movement. Gee, we almost lost the Jews. What a pity that would be. You understand? In spite of their get best efforts to get rid of us, we're still here because you can't get rid of us. We don't work in regular time or space. We go through the shivi yamei luim in Adar when everything ends at the end of the year and suddenly, boom, we move into the eighth day, which is really the first day. We move into a springtime after the winter. We move into a new existence. And the avoda of Adar is that we have to prepare ourselves for the Geula. The avoda of, of Adar is that as much as we understand all the forces of destruction that has taken place and maybe has wreaked havoc in our lives and in our people and in the world around us and our society, now is the time to get ready. It doesn't really make a difference. You know, <clears throat> my parents worked. I'm one of six boys of whom I'm the quietest. So uh, there was always this amazing moment that when my parents came home, you would hear the car door slam. And there was this instantaneous reaction. After we were married for several years, my wife couldn't understand this. You know, I, you know, it would be late at night, I'd be in bed, and suddenly I'd jump out of bed, and I'd realize a car door slammed outside. You know, You'd hear that car door slam, and we would snap into action. 
And somebody would run, you know what I mean? Lock the front door. Somebody would quickly make my parents' bed where they were playing basketball on, you know, they, you know, over here. And they would quickly start, you know, wiping up from the water fights, you know what I mean? And throw, you know, run around like, you know, and they did it in zones, knowing where they would come in, you know what I mean? And you know, try to put the house back together because this is it. The gaul is coming. Are we ready? You don't want to get. I, I read this article. I forgot where. It was just it was a cute little article. So it says. I realized if Mashiach comes, I don't know what I'd wear. <laughs> what would I, uh, can move on. It was written by a girl. And his family, no. <laughs> what would I wear? Could you imagine you miss Mashiach because you're going through your closet? <laughs> but that wasn't the point. That wasn't the point. The point wasn't what would I wear. What's right for the Melech HaMashiach? What would, what, how do I want to be seen by Melech HaMashiach? That's a good question for everybody, and it doesn't have to do just with your dress. How do I want Melech Mashiach to see me? Because he's coming. Nisan's the Geula. It's right around the corner. Ad is the time when we have to get ourselves ready. Ad is the time when we have to put on our best face, when we have to put our things together and fix all the repairs. It's the Yimei Amiluim where we have to practice and get it all together because when Moshchodesh Nisan comes, we're putting up the Mishkan. There's, there's, a, there's a lot to say. I want to just end with the words of Rabbeinu B'chayi and Pashas Tzav. Ukeshem she'ekrivo anasiyim, the Mishkan, that same Yimea Miluin, that same seven days. And he goes into an aspect that I'm not going to go into now of comparing it to the seven days before the Mabel, you know, and certain other seven days periods. As we go into this event that's going to change the course uh-huh. of everything we understand, we have to prepare. Yimea Miluin is the preparation. That's the month of Adar. It's a time for us to prepare ourselves for that Emesa Geula, which is right around the corner. We don't want Mashiach to come and us not be ready. In Mitz Hashem, we should see it soon. The next year is in two weeks.